0: Thank yeah.
1: I didn't always like mushrooms. Uh, it was somewhere in uh, my late twenties. I had a an amazing pasta dish uh, that had like uh, short ribs in it and like a brown gravy and and mushrooms and the mushrooms were just as delicious as the short ribs. And that's when I decided I could eat eat mushrooms. Now, I'm not, like, eating them raw or anything. You got to, like, saute them or put them in a sauce or something like that. But other than that, I can eat me some mushrooms. They're good. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the big show. We're going to be talking about Saints of perfection this week, uh, Star Trek Discovery. We are the brothers who trek about. My name is Matt, and uh, coming to me over in... uh, Planet Houston over there is my brother, Ken. Say hello, Ken.
0: Peace and long life.
1: Excellent. Well, we got lots to talk about this week. I have so many notes, it's ridiculous. But my first note is, is that I realized while I was editing last week's podcast that I said that uh, Anthony Rapp had said two really interesting things on the uh, Facebook show, The Ready Room, and that I had only mentioned one of them in the episode. So here's the other one. And that is that there is a real Stamets. His name is Stamets. Yeah. And he's actually a uh, real fungologist. I don't know what you actually called him, but.
0: So there's an episode of After Track. I think it's the second one, but it could have been the first one. Okay. And he was on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because they well, wanted like... him to explain like, his theory and how, how it ties into the show. Right. And so they had, I think, the showrunners and uh, the scientists. And the scientists talked about his stuff, and the showrunners talked about what they took and how they were using it. And and he put his blessing on it. So. Oh, well, that's
1: neat. Well, what was interesting, one of the things that uh, Anthony Rapid mentioned in the episode was that uh, this guy had, uh, there was a huge thing of toxic waste that was on the edge of uh, some water. And so this guy brought in some of the fungi that he's got and it actually took all the toxicity out of uh, out of the uh, waste. And so then it was easier to handle and easier to deal with. So it's crazy the amount of stuff that we don't know on our planet, isn't it? It's amazing.
0: It and in fact, uh, there's a lot of reasons that, that space has been easier to explore than uh, stuff like bottoms of the oceans or or the desert or, you know, kind of weird ecologies and why why it is that we're kind of ignorant of stuff that seems like it's so central to... Because space and the kind of stuff that's hard physics is just easier to make sense of, whereas the, the more complicated it gets when there's, like, ecology and, you know things have many, many variables. It's just too complicated to make sense of until the science gets better. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, One other quick thing that we hadn't talked about yet, and again, just because we're in the here and now, being able to record in the here and now, and people will be able to listen in the here and now, as opposed to us being behind... One of the things we haven't discussed is how uh, Star Trek Four in the uh, J.J. universe has been put on hold due to uh, sad time contract negotiations with Chris Pine and uh, Chris Hemsworth as well to possibly come back as Kirk's father. And uh, Jamie and I have been watching that uh, there's a show that Chris Pine's been doing. It's a, what do they call them? Like a short series or whatever that's been on uh, AMC. And it's this really great show that he's doing with Patty Jenkins, who directed uh, Wonder Woman. And he's just so fantastic in it. He's, I mean, he's totally anti-Kirk, right? Like he's, you know, he's like this down and out guy and he's getting beat up all the time and blah, blah, blah. But watching it always makes me just be like, man, I want more of this Kirk because it would be so cool. So hopefully they'll be able to get that all worked out. And maybe if Viacom and Paramount get back together, we'll be able to see some more Star Trek on the big screen.
0: So I always wonder when you have stuff like this, where the stars don't want to come back. I mean, part of it is, if you look at, let's say, Sean Connery, we've talked about James Bond a lot in this podcast. For a podcast that's not about uh, James Bond. Right. But that... I think one of the things that, that makes these stars not want to come back is the scripts get more and more repetitive or redundant or they're, they're not doing interesting new things with the characters. they kind of like watch J- James Bond jump off a building, watch James Bond jump off a higher building while being attacked by an alligator, watch James Bond jump off a really, really high building while using, you know, some high tech gadget to you know, and then a parachute opens up and it's a Union Jack and, yeah. uh, you know, and it's like this, I've done this before. I have played this character. There's nothing new. There's nothing interesting. And so if the writing's good, if you read the story, they, this is a compelling story mm-hmm. or what you're doing with my character is interesting or this is going to be so cool. I want to be a part of it. Then, you, right. then the stars come back because it's not like the money's not there. Mm-hmm. The money's clearly there. But I think uh, if you want to get someone to do something that's just work, you know, there's that the famous story of Alec Guinness out in the Tunisian desert writing his friend, going, "This movie is dreadful. Nothing makes any sense. You know, nobody else can act. Uh, you know, the lines are dialogue or dialogue are stupid. You know, oh well, you know, got to go to work. And of course, that's the old actors, you know, tradition, right? That the right. show must go on. And if you're paying me to act, I'll act. And I don't care, you know, what it is. You know, so you, like, I guess one of the famous examples of that is you have this guy, very famous as a Hamlet in the 30s, right? Mm -hmm. But we know him as Samantha's father in Bewitched. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to play, I believe it's Dr. Zayas in Planet of the Apes. Okay. Right? You go, and you're like, where do you find a guy who can be both Samantha's father in Bewitched and dr Zayas. well you get a real actor yeah you get a guy who is at one time famous for shakespeare he's got the chops and if he's old school he's got the willingness to just do whatever right right but i understand why a chris prine or a chris hemsworth are like you know i got a lot of offers i could do a lot of things yeah why would i pick your thing
1: (laughs) well some of the rumors going about are is that it that it is about money is that part of it? Is just that, like Chris Pine's, like I'm just worth this. Like you know, right. I've, I've done Wonder Woman, I'm doing you know all these other cool things. I'm getting other offers that are this. I kind of just want to be paid what I'm worth. And Paramount is like, well, Star Trek Into Darkness only did so well. Star Trek Beyond only did even not even that much better. So there may not be that much money that we actually can give to.
0: I just think you'll find these guys doing like almost indie work if they if they like the project. Yeah. And that's the thing is you have to make whatever the next project is something where the actors are like, Oh man, I wanna be in this.
1: Yeah.
0: otherwise it really comes down to you're gonna have to like fill my bank with with you know doubloons, because yeah. If you want me to be Alec Guinness in the desert going, I don't understand the dialogue, this doesn't make any sense, the story is stupid, the people right. I'm working with are jerks or whatever, then it's gotta be about the money because there's nothing else.
1: Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, hopefully, we'll see some more uh, Kelvin timeline happening sooner rather than later. Then there's also this rumor the the Tarantino script that's out there, the Star Trek Tarantino script. I don't even know what that's about, but I I'll see it. I'll definitely go watch Tarantino <laughs> have his take in the Star Trek universe. That'd be super cool.
0: You know, I I ran the uh, the it was a fake. Uh, what was it? It's a trailer, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. But. Tarantino track would be like, so you can go to the Facebook page, I guess, and scroll up a little bit, and there's that Tarantino Star Trek. He he fights the Gorn a lot in it, yeah.
1: (laughs) Surprise. Uh, All right, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Like I said, I got a lot of notes, and so why uh, take time talking about anything else? So we get this opening uh, voiceover. Uh, There's a lot, there's weird... We're used to Star Trek and the Captain's Lug, Stardate, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, kind of, like, leading us into the story. Uh, We don't usually get these, like, here's just a voiceover of a—just a voiceover for the show. It's not even like she's writing a letter. You're like, you don't even know who she's talking to. Uh, I thought it was very different from what Trek usually does. I'm not saying I hated it or anything. I'm not saying, like— it just proves the show isn't Trek, like I keep seeing online. But uh, it was something different for Trek. For Trek, I thought
0: they've been doing that a lot, mm-hmm. and they seem to like to weave in things that she said at the very end of the episode, or the very last episode of season one. That speech she gave, where she was, you know, kind of getting, you know, back into not being in trouble after season one. Right, and she gave that speech about who we are and what we've got to do. It, and I hear that kind of stuff in her speeches, in these in these little. So I, I think she's keeping a diary. We just don't know about it.
1: <laughs> that must be it. One of the big things, of course, you know, she's talking about uh, that Stamets hasn't lost hope. That Tilly, he thinks that Tilly has survived whatever the uh, alien may has done to her, uh, and she says. I want to believe that's possible too. I want to have faith. So I think what we find by the end of this episode is this episode's really a lot about Burnham searching for something, right? So if I skip to the end of my notes here really quick, you know, she even says, I envy those who believe there is a greater hand uh, writing the story. The one who chooses to keep chaos at bay.
0: Still searching for it. We all are. That's how we find our way by choosing to walk forward together. And if there is a greater hand leading us into an uncertain future,
1: Only hope it guides us well. You know, we get a lot of talk about faith in the scene just before the end here, where uh Georgiou and her have the talk. You know, and we'll talk about that scene separately in a minute. But you know, even at that point, you know, she's telling her like, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really actually trying to help find Spock for the best of reasons." And Michael's like, "Uh-huh." And Georgiou actually says, "Have a little faith, Michael." So I think it's interesting because this is the whole idea of faith, right, is 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 your logic side versus your emotional side or your, you know, the side that wants to, again, believe that there is a higher power. Right. I mean, the whole idea behind religion about what faith is. So it seems that that's like the perfect the perfect question for Michael to be asking, considering her Vulcan side and her human side, which, you know, they've definitely been delving into more this season.
0: Yeah, I think there's – that's certainly out there. I also think there's the – you have a sliding scale of cynicism versus idealism, right? Mm -hmm. And so just kind of any kind of idealism can be described as faith. Faith that people are good, faith that things will turn out well, faith that the universe is not malevolent. These kinds of things versus a kind of cynicism where we're all going to die, What's the point anyway? Everything's corrupt. No institutions are worth. So, and these were in conflict because in this episode, you've got not only the the main story, the story about do we rescue Tilly and do we do the right thing when we're in the, the network half. Right. But there's also the, what is the role of Section 31, right? So I've known people who were like, Section 31 isn't Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And in my Star Trek, Section 31 doesn't exist. And they're making the argument, which I'm not completely buying, um, but, you know, the Admiral makes it, and we're, we're offered this argument, that Section 31 is this, is this necessary thing. You know, in the words of Orwell, you sleep quietly in your bed tonight, Or peacefully in your bed tonight, because rough men are ready to do violence on your behalf somewhere out in the world, whether it's policemen or soldiers or whatever it is. And so, you know that that's the the conflict that we saw in this episode. What 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 do we think of Section Thirty-One? Is it are these bad guys, and Mm -hmm. we should be like, ooh, Section Thirty-One, icky? Or should we go, uh, you know, there's some rough stuff out there, and these are the guys who deal with it, and and they're what lets Captain Pike, go out in the world and be noble, Captain Pike. Right, like that's what that's what his old friend said. Mm-hmm. I do the, my thing so that you can do your thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, well, sorry, I have all these thoughts all of a sudden. But uh, you know, you know, we talk about the, you know, the CIA and these things that you know they've done under the table, and we don't necessarily know of. We've got you know black ops, you know, things happening through the government that are. Doing things that maybe for our benefit, maybe for the greater good, we can only hope. Uh, you know, and so, and I mean, some of that stuff's too, just like little stuff. It's like these little scientific discoveries that hey, we're going to use this for this right now, but you know, eventually, hey, we'll all get to use, you know, lasers for listening to discs, or we'll be able to, you know, all these things that have come right, about, right. microwaves, you know, that have come about, you know, because some military purpose we needed them first and now we're like okay well uh, now this technology can get out sort of it's out there anyway so now you you consumers now have microwaves because of us uh, be happy so
0: right okay and you've uh, got stuff like uh you know various assassinations right
1: mm-hmm. and we
0: could all point to you know assassinations where things didn't work out well mm-hmm. like Kennedy's assassination of uh the vietnamese president right um But, you know, there's also times where there's like, you know, bad people doing bad things. And when those guys get assassinated and things liberalize and open up and the repression comes to an end, you know, that's that's not necessarily so bad.
1: Right. Right. So I think that that's kind of what Section 31 is supposed to be. So it's interesting because so we've got Leland, who is the leader of Section 31, Who's you know says I've got it. I my job is to toe this line. I have to toe the line between what we think is good and hopefully we'll make everything better. And as you said, so Pike can go out and do what he does. Um, But you know we're we're also dealing with I'll bring this up now. We with Giorgio, right? So what's really going on with her character? Because on the one hand, we know she was the ruler of this. Awful, oppressive Terran Empire, right? In the other, in the Mirror Universe. And now she comes back. She saves the Discovery with, um, with, with Burnham on it, right? Obviously, I think that that's part of it, but she saves the Discovery with Burnham on it. Uh, she, uh, you know, she gives them, she buys them the extra time, the, the extra three minutes. And then at the very end, she's like, no, I'm really trying to save Spock from the people who are going to be, you know, gun happy out there who might take him down. So the question is, is that, are they changing Giorgio's character? Do you think that, do you think it's because of Burnham? These are two, that's two separate questions, I guess. <laughs> what do you think that they're doing with Giorgio's character, I guess? is We'll start there.
0: I think we're never going to get a good answer about Giorgio. It'll never be like, oh yeah, she's really a force for good. Right. I think we'll get a, a moment where she does a good thing and she helps out the good guys and then... She'll betray them, and she'll she'll steal the um, the MacGuffin, right? And she'll give it to the wrong people or whatever, and we'll be like, ooh, Joryel's bad," and it'll always be because, well, that's what Section Thirty-One wanted. This was the plan. This is what we did. Yeah. Just you know, s- stop complaining. We have reasons.
1: Well, she even says too. She does her best work when people are watching, you know. So it's like, yeah. uh, oh, this is. The- See, I, I was able to save your your brother Spock, but at the same time, I was working for Six Thirty One and wanted me to do this, and so we got both. We both got what we wanted. You got Spock back,
0: and I got. Well, the reason to take we wanted thing. to save Spock because we wanted his, you know, cryptanalysis thing that uh, allows us to bug the Romulan ambassadors. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha. Yeah,
1: she's kind of like uh, uh, Vosh, right? The Picard's like. My girlfriend who <laughs> who keeps going to th- doing things outside Picard's like no you can't you can't just can't do that and she's like no I was really I was bringing it back to you I swear yeah I think that I I think that there's two I think you're right I think that they're gonna definitely play the both sides of Georgio I suspect that it's going to be because of Michael that she's doing anything that's like worthwhile and good for our heroes you know it's going to be you know she's not gonna be she hasn't been able to get over the death of her, you know, previous Michael or something like that. You know, I think it's going to be one of those things that's really going to play. But I think that they're ultimately going to soften her a little bit than what we saw in the previous season. That's my sus- my suspect.
0: Well, it makes sense because she's kind of a rough character as it is.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: You know, the the, the scene where she's like eating uh, Calpian. Oh, yeah. I you know and
1: that oops
0: yeah so she's kind of a she's she's she starts off as kind of a piece of work
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i totally forgot about that but i also think too since now we're in a season 2 uh is much more a hopeful it's much more you know more of like getting back to our roots of what star trek really is i suspect that they don't want to keep any character quite that dark you know
0: right We're gonna
1: ride the line, just like Leland says, and then that's it. So, of course, obviously, the big takeaway from this week is the return of uh, Doctor Culbert. Of course, we'll get into that a little more, but it's interesting because even from this opening, uh, even from this opening voiceover. They're setting up, you know, the idea of like, well, Tilly could still be alive, which also, in our minds, then gives us the idea of like, well, if something goes into the mycelial network, then clearly it could come out again. So why not Culber, right? It's already setting up that idea in the opening paragraph.
0: I think they've like, they I mean, we've been seeing him in visions or whatnot, so he's out there somewhere.
1: Yeah. So we uh, find Spock shuttle, and again, we think oh boy, we're going to get that big reveal of Spock, aren't we? It's going to be great. And uh, no, it's not going to be. We find out that it's uh, George who has uh, stolen Spock's ship. In in that same way that Maz Kanata somehow ended up with Luke's, Luke and Anakin's lightsaber, uh, she ends up with Spock's ship. We don't quite get the explanation on that, other than she was using it to try and find him.
0: Well, she, she says she was trailing him, and then she... It's like, and I was hot on pursuit of... Uh, you know, Matt Thief and I found his car, you know, 10 miles outside of uh, San Antonio, and I got in his car and pursued the trail, right? So she says she found it, uh, she was on his trail, found the shuttle, and then has continued. Right. So take that for what it's worth, but I mean, I don't believe anything she says. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, we get the continued use of using the nebula to hide, you know. It seems like ever since Star Trek Two, this has been a, a thing people keep bringing back. Oh, yeah, we'll just go hide in the nebula. It'll be great. But uh, they managed to disable her ship with a well-placed torpedo. And then one of my favorite moments happens is that they bring the shuttle in. And everybody's like, okay, let's just all, you know, put our guns up, be careful, blah, blah, blah. And then the doors open and it's Captain Georgiou and everybody puts their guns down except for Michael, who's just like, what the hell is happening? I cannot. It was so great. I love that moment. And he, yeah, even, and, and
0: you get Pike, who's like, uh, "Yeah, Burnham?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Commander, are you going to put and that I, down? I
0: love the way Burnham, or uh, Pike, brings it up later. Yeah. He's like, the way you reacted with... Uh, this incident was just out of character, yep. and the way you reacted with uh, Tyler, you know, yeah. So there was the two Tyler and then Joe and he's like, "Something's up. There's more that you're not telling me, and you need to tell me what's up." And then of course she gives him the, you know, ideal for making anarchy. This isn't the time. And yep. then of course he says to the great, you know, "Don't make me come after you to get this information." Yeah. So I'm like, this is, this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really... do. It, it's so, like...
1: I know I brought it up last time, but it's just like, I'm going to miss Pike. He's he's so cool. Yeah, he's totally cool. Yeah. All right, let's see. So I love this, the, the interchange then that happens between Pike and Georgiou, where Pike is like, boy, I haven't seen you since the Academy. And even back then, you knew all the regulations. You could drink us under the table, but you knew them before anybody else. And she's like so you want me to know why I didn't follow regulations and tell you I was on the ship? It's a question, you know. (laughs) He's like, like, I gotta know the answer. That was so fun. (laughs) Meanwhile, Burnham's like suspicious of her the whole time, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She knows. And so there's all this like a lot of side eye going on of like, what are you doing? What are you working towards? And you can also tell, too, that Michelle Yeoh is just having like the best time playing this character, you know, just like going in, getting to be all cool all the time. And she's eating the apple in the one scene like, whatever, this isn't going to last long. I'm going to be back on my ship in a second. You know, it's just so fun. So here's a question I've been seeing out on the Internet. And again, you know, I've used this excuse before with other things. It could just be the time that we're in right now. But it sure feels like everybody knows what Section 31 is, right? Right. Whereas, like in DS9, there are admirals who don't even know what sexual 30, Section 31 is.
0: Yeah, so it does seem like, you know, everyone's just, you just still them the badge, you're like, ooh. Section yeah, 31. exactly. Yeah, it's almost like it's more like the green berets, right? Someone's <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing in Southeast Asia? ooh, Green Beret, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We also get to see our first con badge used in the, in this yeah. episode with Tyler. Another Section 31. Again, it's like uh, what I was saying earlier about all that technology that, like, you know, well, the CIA has been able to take, you know, high-res photos for 30 years, and just now are we being able to use it? It's like that crazy thing. I think I
0: posted...
1: Yeah, I posted it on Jeff's page, but I think that you saw it, the one of the... Uh, the super like megapixel thing where you could keep zooming and zooming and zooming and zooming and zooming and zooming. zooming. You get people's faces or you could zoom all the way out and get this like huge overview of the city. And it was one picture.
0: That's just crazy.
1: So I love, it's fun too. So obviously we got the George Pike scenes and then the Pike and Leland scenes both times, both here and the middle when they go into his ready room and then at the end of the episode, too. The scenes between them are just so fun. And it helps that they have a history and they know each other, so there's a little bit of chemistry going on there.
0: We should, we should uh, co- kind of compare the, uh, the way the history was done, like, say, the, in the original series versus the way it's done now. Right. So in the original series, of course, it was pure episode of the week. Mm. And so you'd introduce some guy who Kirk knew at the academy or Kirk knew from, you know, his time on the USS Pocahontas (laughs) or, you know, whatever it is. And it, it doesn't, it's not nearly as in depth or as interesting. As these are, these are well written. Like these people really do have a history, yeah. and of course, I think just this kind of writing television is just so much better now, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just it. I, I like the way these characters do feel like they have a history. They know each other. They're not talking like strangers. They're talking like people who, you know, could talk about that time back in that bar on on Andor or whatever the deal is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote. So using science, Stamets and Burnham realize that they uh, that this must be a pod, like a mycelial transporter. Using science, I'm so clever. So we get the scene of Tilly and May in the mycelial network. Right, it's a beautifully like shot scene. I like all the colors. The mycelial network is really cool. Very cool. And it's funny because May then like says, "Hey, I need your help. You know, there's a monster and it's killing things, and we got to take care of the." We got to take care of the monster. And it's fun because Tilly is like, she's mad at herself because she knows she's going to do it, right? She knows that she's going to follow May and go help her do whatever she is. Because that's Tilly, right? Like, that's just the kind of thing that she does. So I thought that was a really nice, nice moment for her. Now, what's interesting is that in the last episode, May basically, like, calls out Stamets, right? For being... Whatever it is that's destroying the, but in this monster, but in this episode, it's a monster. It's something different. So I was like, "Well, then, what did she mean about Stamets? I mean, obviously, Stamets is the one that's bringing the. So maybe she was right, and I mean, maybe like bringing the the disco into the thing is killing it. But here's what I actually suspect that it was: is that. So, sorry, I just realized I needed some background on this. So, in this week's Ready Room episode with Naomi Kyle on Facebook is, uh, was Wilson Cruz, who plays Culber, right? And so, one of the things that he mentioned about being stuck in that network is that whenever he saw Discovery, he was trying to get Discovery's attention. So, maybe what isn't described in this episode, but because of this piece of information is described, is that what's really happening is, is that the monster... Culbert, was trying to get Discovery's attention. And so it was like, hey, I got to take out this white swat, you know, like riding SOS in the sand or something, cool. you know.
0: Or starting a fire on the beach.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Even better. And so that's what was taking out the Mycelial Network. So that's what I suspect.
0: I still say Mere Stamets.
1: Mere Stamets. That's also good, too. I like that. I wish that would have been that. That would have have totally been cool. Uh, So as we get into rescuing the Culber, first of all, I loved Pike's acknowledgement that uh, uh, how ridiculous this plan is. He basically says that. Are you ready to follow this ridiculous plan of yours? I mean, like, seriously, how many episodes of movies and television have we watched that have just been like, why would anybody, what is this plan? You know, the biggest one in Star Wars recently was the Return of the Jedi one, right? Like, wait, what was Luke's plan going into Java? Like, they were all going to get... That they were all going to get captured and almost thrown into the, you know, the Sarlacc pit, and that's when they were going... You know, R2 was going to shoot him the lightsaber, you know?
0: Well, I, I think their plan in that case was, we're just going to get inside. Yeah, yeah And then yeah. once we're inside, we can regroup and pull something amazing off, right? Yeah. The, getting thrown into the Sarlacc pit, and the particular case of how they did it. That was just the once we're all together we'll pull something off. Oh, this is the only time we're all together, let's do it. <laughs> well, it's like how do you get like five guys, six guys, uh, you know, and C3PO. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, I could understand how you're going to get let's say Lando and Luke and Leia in. Right. But how are you going to get R2 in? And how are you going to get C three PO He's like right, slow exactly. can't climb. I love I, it. I think he's he's got some difficulty with slopes. You
1: know, so. <laughs> Sure does seem that way. Uh so then we also says uh and then Pike also says, Are you ready to execute this very bold, deeply insane plan of yours? You know? I love that. He also gives that great speech. All personnel, this is Captain Pike. Starfleet is a promise. I give my life for you. You give your life for me. And nobody gets left behind. Ensign Sylvia Tilly is out there. And she has every right to expect us. We keep our promises. Please report to uh, your stations in designated safe zones in the starboard section. Good luck and Godspeed to us all. So they uh, zoom into the mycelial network. Tilly and May see it, like, crash in, basically. And uh, conveniently, it's right where they are, so they can walk up into it. This is where we get our uh, pinky swear that happens.
0: Well, we, we do get earlier, Stamets, you know, tries to use the construction of the, the cell, the thing. The telepod, yeah. The telepod, and he uses what they know of, of... Tilly, you know, her her signature and so forth to scan and look for. So it's not like conveniently that's where they show up.
1: Well, no, 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 that's true. That's true. So uh, they make their way into the discovery, May and uh, Tilly. And uh, pretty quickly they find they find Stamets and Burnham. So you're like, okay, well, this is going to wrap up until he says, no, we have to go after the monster. And minutes later, it's Culber. So it was funny because I don't know what it was. So the first time they mentioned the monster, I'm like, oh, okay, monster. Now I was thinking of the whole Stamets thing and blah, blah, blah. And then the second time they mentioned the mo- monster, knowing Culber was returning in this episode, I was like, I wonder if this monster is Culber. And sure enough, it was. Yeah. And he's in bad shape, right? He doesn't believe Stamets when he first sees him, and it uh, takes a memory that, of course, only Stamets would know. So, uh, Wilson Cruz on the radio room again was talking about uh, his process in this episode as an actor, and as an actor myself, I like to discuss such things, so here we go. Uh, he talked about reading The Road uh, to get into the right headspace, since that book's a lot about you know being alone. So he's like trying to like okay I'm being alone you know I'm alone they're alone this is going to be great and it's well described and uh, he says this about like seeing Stamets uh, he's uh, he's talking about the book now the road and using this this little piece right here at, as for his mindset he's, and there's this there's this um, little piece, there's this line in in the road that I thought about a lot where he talks about um, he has these nightmares about dreaming about his dead wife. And that, at first, those dreams were really comforting, but then they became torturous because mm. he'd have to wake up from that dream every time. And so, um, for me, that's what, that's what Culver is experiencing in that moment. He really wants it to be real. Yeah. But in that moment, he, he assumes that it isn't. So I was like, wow, that's good, heavy stuff. I like that. And it helps put some of this into perspective, too, because of course, this happens to me a lot, is that, like, I'm just following the heroes, right? I'm not thinking about, like, what Culver's been going through and blah, 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 but, you know, the months of isolation and loneliness, you know, of course he's not going to add for you know, right away think that that really is, damn, because the mycelial network is crazy that way.
0: Right, so, uh, and, and, you know, the same way that the guy wandering through the desert, I keep putting Culver on a desert island, <laughs> rather right? Yeah, in exactly. In this in this uh, mossy forest or whatever. But (laughs) you you see mirages, you know, you see, oh, there's, I think I see a town. I think I see a lake. I think I see whatever I need to see. I'm sure he's had that experience, right? Yeah. And as we also know, because it happened, was last episode, uh, you know, the sports and stuff could be hallucinogenic. I mean, these little magic mushrooms going on there.
1: Exactly. exactly. So
0: he's he's probably accidentally had some trippy experiences.
1: So uh, meanwhile, in the real world, bad stuff is happening. The, the mycelial are eating through the Discovery Hull. That's not good. 78% of the hull has been eaten away by the network, says Saru. Uh, and then they lose navigation. And then Bernard's like... I uh, to imagine
0: if that were true. Like, they would have to go back to space dock. And it's like, uh, Captain Pike, uh, we've got a real problem here. This is the second ship in a row that you brought back <laughs> in pieces. Right.
1: Uh, but then this is the part I really didn't get is that Burnham then's like, uh, Wait, hey, what happened here? And Sir is like, uh, no, don't worry about us. You just hurry. And I'm like, this isn't the right move. <laughs> yeah. I think that people down there need to know how dire the situation is and need to get their butts back because what will happen is instead what happens where they take way too much time to decide whether or not they can bring Culver back. I mean, I'm glad that they get to bring Culver back and I understand why they did it, but it just, it's taking forever. Like this ticking clock, you're like, oh my God, what are these people doing? Like, I was like more freaked out for the ship, the needs of the many, I are the needs of the few? Come on, let's do this.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned the ticking clock because I felt like these past, I don't know, three episodes, certainly. Uh uh, So broadly, I feel you're in some planet of the week space here, right? Yes, definitely. It feels much more like some kind of classic Star Trek in which, while we do have this arky business going on, which is a lot of fun, we also have uh, a whole new experience each week, right? Plan of the Week, yay. Yeah. And, and of course, this thing you mentioned, we've also got Roddenberry's ticking clock, right? So as you've mentioned, you know, as we go through the original episodes, Roddenberry liked the idea that we, we can't just have a problem that the characters have to solve. Right. We have to, uh, you know, increase the tension by giving us a ticking clock and then having Mr. Sulu do a countdown. <laughs> <laughs> Ten. Nine. That one likes his clocks. <laughs> uh,
1: so we had two mentions of the second law of thermodynamics, which is basically like energy ha- energy doesn't just disappear. It just gets you know changed or turned into something else so uh so we get the important one here where we get you know culbert he was about to die and since we find out how he gets here and and stamets you know being the link between the mycelial network and at that time kisses Culber, the tear somehow also magically takes the force that the force <laughs> who am I now I'm so deep into Star Wars that uh, takes the uh, takes the essence the life the energy and sends it into the mycelial network so which then you know like sets up all sorts of interesting implications as far as like is there an afterlife I mean if energy really doesn't just disappear then what happens to our energy where does it go blah 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 but that's a way deeper conversation for another time uh, Ticking clock going, we keep adding on to it. Section 131 ship is about to blow up and Leland orders to shut it down, but Giorgio, as I mentioned, finds a way of uh, adding three minutes by blackmailing the captain. I'm sure that'll put her in, in his good graces, don't you think?
0: Who knows how Section 31 works?
1: Exactly. <laughs> Apparently like the Terran Empire. Uh, Let's see. Now to the crux of the episode. The away team makes their way back to the cube, only to find that Culber can't return through the cube. We instead have to uh, hope that May will keep her word and send Culber back through, which she totally does. But Culber doesn't look exactly together when he totally arrives, right? I definitely think we're going to see into the future that there's going to be some kind of traumatic after effects from everything that's happened.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's going to have a some serious recovery to do.
1: Exactly. So um, I'm going to bring up two two things here, which are all connected to this, which is number one, Katie Burt of Den of Geek really liked this episode. She really loves the show. She's been really uh, talking well about it. But she says this. uh, Discovery doesn't have a very good track record when it comes to exploring or even recognizing trauma. So I'm not sure how Hugh's time in the mycelial plane will affect him going forward, she says. I'm not sure... Uh, What to hope for? On the one hand, I want to show—I want the show to take trauma seriously, but I also don't want an entire season of watching Hugh suffer after we were forced to watch his neck getting snapped again and again on all the previous Leons. Dude deserves some light laughter and love, in my opinion. Uh,
0: Perhaps they did a good job with uh, Ashes trauma.
1: Oh yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think so too, but. And then I, I write, I, I put this in my notes. Wilson Cruz uh, teases this in his interview, saying that um, that when you go through trauma, sometimes you need help. And sometimes ellipses, ellipses, ellipses. So that makes me wonder if you know Culver's going to be having to deal with this trauma, but you know he's going to be pushing Stamets away for a while, or something happens like that. Either way, I think that this means that uh, things are not looking good for. Calver right away. That's for sure. Death scene that turns out not to be a death scene, you know. His uh you need to let me go. And then zoom, they discover a away, so uh interestingly enough too uh the writer of the uh New York Times review, Sopan Depp said this, "The writers have made a choice this season to let Burnham explore more of her human side this season." You see uh, Sinique Martin Green being much more expressive in her reactions to potentially catastrophic events like Saru's death and his not death until he's kidnapping. It doesn't feel particularly genuine because the writers keep crying wolf. The stakes seem low because no one ever actually dies or disappears. So I thought that was a good point. Um, again, I liked all of these episodes and I'm not complaining about them, but it certainly does feel like if we ever get a death, we'll all be going, Is they really dead. We have to question this, you know,
0: yeah,
1: uh, and then that's uh, that's pretty much it. We get that awesome scene with Leland and Pike that I mentioned. Well, we get the return of Admiral Cornwall. Very uh, fun. Yeah,
0: you know that was so. That's one of the things that I really like about what we're getting here is that you'd have an admiral who might contact Kirk, right? And we would never see that guy again. They mm-hmm. had a plan to have Kork come back. Yeah, but they like they never actually got it done
1: well so, uh i remember one of the producers felt that that made the universe seem too small i think it was robert justman who was uh who was saying like we keep running into the same klingon come on you know that was his right. complaint and
0: there's certainly an argument there and the fact that we've only seen one admiral or like this one admiral is is loomed large yeah. is a bit of a problem um but we like the character and so forth, so... Yeah. You do want to have more than one admiral, though.
1: Well, to bring it back to Star Wars for, again, the third time in this episode, you know, one of the problems, that one of the complaints of the new series of movies is that we don't have enough, like, of the old-school aliens, right? Where are our right. Greedos and our Hammerheads and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Disney's thought on this is like, well, it makes the universe seem too small. Well, yeah, but... They should still be around, like having none, having zero of them. I'm not saying fill your whole screen with, you know, aliens we've already seen, but let's get to, you know, let's get a splashing of a Greedo here or let's get a splash of a Bith or, you know, something else. I thought,
0: so we had that, uh, that, I guess it was, a, it was the other cantina, right? Yeah. That they went into and it had all kinds of new different aliens, which I liked. But you do have the question of, like, how many aliens are there, right? Is it yeah. enormous? But there are humans everywhere, which is weird. <laughs> right. Or, and I felt like this is how it worked, let's say, in the, in the Clone Wars animated series, right? Where it was like, there's a dozen or a dozen and a half aliens. And they're in more of equal... You know, proportions. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like any group of five random people is going to be a human, a twilight a Greedo, uh, you know, the familiar faces. Right. Yeah. And then another group of five is going to include three of those. One of them is always going to be a human because there's a lot of humans. Yeah. But, you know, you get a group of five or six people together and the odds in the animated Clone Wars, that one of them would be a Twilight, or one of them would be a Greedo, or one of them would be those uh, familiar races, it was reasonably high. right? And so these are, I think, the two kind of extremes to work with, right? And one says that, well, there's, there's humans, and there's Vulcans, and there's Edorians, and there's Tellarites and that's the beginning of the Federation. They've, they've, they're all over the place. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll also bump into the occasional Betazoid and the occasional, uh, you know, um, Trill and so on. Right. So but of course, and, and there are good reasons for it outside the story. Humans are everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Well, especially when it comes to the Clone Wars, you know, animated, you can only animate so many, you know, <laughs> you can only have so many different, you know, uh, uh, character you know, pieces built for animation, you know? Uh, The other cool thing that comes out of this Leland Pike scene is that, Oh, by the way, I also want to, because I know somebody would point it out. uh, When I say Greedo, of course, I mean, Rodian, I know what they're called, but the Greedo makes, so everybody knows what a Greedo is, but it's a Rodian. I know that. Okay. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: We also find out in this Leland and Pike scene is that uh, there is uh, some uh time elements that they've been dealing with i forgot what the name of the waves are chrome cronian chrome chrome, oh, chrome. Tachyons. yeah yeah mm-hmm. tachyon waves that are uh, being sewn there so there's some kind of element you've of got your rhodians i've travel. got my
0: tachyons <laughs> yeah that's good i love it
1: this is why we get along so well <laughs> um we also find out too that uh tyler has made the permanent liaison to the disco Okay. I mean obviously we need to bring the character back. Right. We had to get him off Ponos for a reason, so why not bring him onto the disco? Uh, I've got a funny thing about that I'll read in a minute. But uh the I love the line where they're like, you know, unless you want Captain Giorgio, <laughs> both Cornwall and Pike are like, nope. We're good, thanks. We I was going to need... say
0: about about Cornwall. So it it makes sense if and they haven't explained this, but like let's just assume it that the Discovery is attached to whatever unit or fleet or, you know, what have you that Admiral Cornwall is running or a part right. of, right? It's like... Her section reason of we space, see- even. Yeah, the reason we keep seeing her is because she's the admiral to this particular ship. You know, it's, it's not like random admirals, right? Which is, you kind of feel that in, I, I think, uh, Next Generation kind of had, because they also had you know, admiral of the week kind of, yeah, <laughs> lots of admirals. And, you know, they never explain how it works. So maybe it's admirals get certain sectors of space. And when the enterprise is over there, well, that's the admiral that calls you up and goes, Captain Picard. Good to see you. I haven't seen you since that time on, uh, you know, Regulon seven <laughs> or you, or it's, it's organized by fleets, right? Which uh-huh. also makes sense. In which case, you're saying something closer to uh, how come we don't see the same Admiral every time going, uh, got to deploy my best ship on this one. Yeah. Or whatever.
1: Well, also, too, like the Enterprise is supposed to be like the flagship. So it's like any random Admiral could be like, well, no, we need the flagship on this one. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, let's call them. We need Picard there. Uh, Katie bert to Geek also makes this point. For the love of all that is holy, why would anyone let Tyler onto the bridge without at least ing- without at least giving Stamets a-, a warning that the man who killed his partner is about to make a cameo? This ship needs a mental health professional so incredibly bad.
0: <laughs> I thought that was a great line. <laughs> I think it's also uh anyway, at one point Tyler looked like he was gonna go to the place where the crew is coming back from the mycelial network. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, that would be really bad for the doctor to bump into this guy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Luckily, Pike thought about it. Yeah, for whatever reason, Pike says, you stay here, right? So I don't know whether Pike was up to speed on that, or whether he's just like, I don't trust you, you're no good, but it saved us from a, "Ah!" You know? (laughs) This guy... I've been
1: haunted by him. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has this episode listed at a uh, 92%, which is uh, very high. Yeah. Oh, I also like this. Uh, so, this is uh, back to uh, The Times writer uh, Sopan Depp says this. And speaking of Tyler, he openly strolls around the ship and sits in the mess hall to chat with Burnham. I guess we're all supposed to forget that he's supposed to be alive, right? Remember the Klingon Empire that thinks he's been beheaded? Why would they risk that word of him strolling around Federation ships wouldn't leak out? I'm sure that this would destabilize Kronos. (laughs) Well, that was a really good point. He also says this, that the uh, biggest change from last season is the one uh, uh, to this one is that the episodes are... uh, more self-contained. I'm hoping we get back to the subject at hand soon, because these side plots like Tilly and the Mycelial Network are getting distracting, he says.
0: Yeah, see, I'm really digging them, right? Because, of course, I remember Planet of the Week, and I like Planet of the Week. It's it's good Star Trek. You know, when you play the online game, uh, one of the things I really enjoyed was the exploration. So I would detour from the, the railroad plot that you're on, right, where first you do this mission, then you do the next mission, then you do the next mission, then you do the next mission, and then you get to collect something for having done these missions together. Right. Now now I have the the Regulon 4, uh, you know, uh, a deflector shield. haha And if I do the next four missions, I get the Regulon 4, you know, warp engine. And then if I get the Regulon 4 uh, shield, then I've got like a set, and I get extra bonus powers, and I can shoot a particular weapon. Yeah. But I would like to do these missions where you go off and you like just, oh, I'm passing by something and I can click on it and I, you know, shoot four Gorn ships and move on and I get this tiny amount of experience and, you know, maybe I find some batteries or something. And that's it. But those right. are fun. I enjoyed that Planet of the Week feel. And as much as I like the the arc, and if, if you listen to to what I have to say in the original series, I'm pining for the arc, right? I love the arc. Exactly. And here, now that we have the arc, I'm like, you know, I really like the plan of the week. (laughs) And it's not because I'm, you know, suffering from some kind of dissociative disorder. (laughs) Oh, true. It's because I like them both, and I think there's a happy medium where you get some plan of the week, but you also have a nice arc, Mm-hmm. And it's not like a soap opera where it's pure arc, but it's also not like an episode of The Simpsons where, you know, Homer can die and then he's, he's you know, back sitting on the couch on the next episode. Nobody ever talks about what happened to him. Right.
1: Yeah, this is much more, uh, I mean, it is, it's kind of the best of both worlds, really, because you can get a lot more, although... What I'm missing is that, like, if we go to my always example of, like, Buffy or Smallville, right, where we have some kind of arc that's connecting, the, you know, the entire season together while we get our Monster of the Week or our Kryptonian of the Week or whatever, <clears throat> that occasionally they'll have an entire episode that'll deal with the arc and then go back to, you know, right. here's, our, here's some more, you know, Monsters of the Week. And I yeah, think and- that right now that that's really what I'm dying for.
0: Right, um, I'm it really would be nice if there was an episode that just focused on getting like meeting Spock. I think it's time for us to meet Spock, right? Yes. And then yes. we get a whole episode about like, what have you been doing? What's going on? Yeah. What do you know about the Red Angel? What's this about the murders? Right? We when we resolve some stuff there, and then we could go, well, let's go to Red Angel number one, and then whoop, well, we don't get to Red Angel number one instead. The episode after, we're Planet of the week.
1: Yep, well. What's really sad, too, is that, yes, I would love for next week to be the Spock episode, but next week is also, like, the episode that I was looking forward to last week, which is where we get to go to the Kelpian planet and see how Saru is going to handle, you know, taking out the Ba'ul or whatever they're going to end up doing with that planet. So that'll be fun to see. I'm really excited for that episode. I think it's going to be super cool and super fun, and hopefully it lives up to everything that I want it to be. We'll see. I mean, all I really want it to be is that... Saru gets to save his Kelpian people and then they get mm-hmm. to go and be happy. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see what the Ba'ul are and what their, you know, connection to that planet is. Uh, those are the two things I'm really looking forward to out of that next episode. All right, a couple more odds and ends. This one also from Sopandepp from The Times. He says, uh, one thing that really stands out in Discovery, its, cinema- its cinematography is top notch. The point of view shot from the vantage of the torpedo and the discovery fires, the warning shot on the Spock shuttle is fantastic. So, so I got to agree the the special effects have always been great on the show. I've always loved uh, what they've done with that. One last thing from the uh, Wilson Cruz interview, I will mention talking about uh, what's to come with his character. He was mentioning in the nineties when, you know, people found out they had AIDS in the nineties that like, that was it. You're like, pretty much done. And then all of a sudden they came out with the inhibitors and all of these things that helped people prolong their lives. So a lot of people then were getting a second chance at life. And what does that mean? And how does that change a person? And how is that person then different because they have this new lease on life? What does that mean? So play that into what that's going to mean for Culver coming up. You know, he may not even be the same person at all. He could be like a completely different, like, my life has changed. My priorities have changed. I'm going to go off and do something else, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it'll be interesting to see how how his character changes uh, uh, due to everything that's happened to him as well. And uh, that is all I got. Boom, I'm done. Anything else uh, we got to talk to that uh, you didn't get to mention?
0: No, I think we covered it all. I
1: think we did, too.
0: Excellent.
1: Yeah. Really good episode. Um, I am enjoying them. Even, I mean, again, it's kind of our job here to sit and uh, like, you know, put the screws on and uh, see how much it really holds up. But even still, I've been really digging this season. I've really been enjoying all the episodes. And like I said, definitely looking forward to uh, next week's episode. However, if the episode that follows next week's episode does not involve Spock, I might freak out.
0: So stay tuned (laughs) for that, folks.
1: Because that could be a lot of fun. As always, my name's Matt coming to you from Austin and coming to you from Planet Houston's my brother Ken. Say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. There we go. And we will see you all next week.